Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Opportunity Knocks. My name is Dean Miller. I'm your host, and I'm here with another repeat guest, my dear friend of probably 20-plus years at this point, the one and only crazy man from Cape Cod and Boston, <laughs> Danny Griffin. Danny, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. I, from here, from there, you made me sound really schizophrenic or bipolar. I don't know what, but nice intro. Thanks. That's it. Yeah, listen, it, it is what it is. We can't, we can't change. We can't change your reality. That's, uh, that's crazy. right. It's a good it is thing. what it is. Yeah. So, Danny, the reason why I wanted to bring you back, as as many of you know, um, Opportunity Knox is not specifically a real estate related podcast, but we, uh, you know, being that I've been in, in immersed in this business for well over 20 years, most of what I've learned has come through my experiences within this industry. And what I've always felt that I've done well is I've watched other industries to learn from them and move some of the, the successes and formulas from outside businesses into real estate. Uh, as I did when I was in the restaurant business, I took my real estate experience in, in database and marketing, moved that to the restaurant side and it worked well. And it's worked for so, several of the other companies that I've invested in and worked with over the years. So one of the things that I, I learned, like Danny and I got involved in coaching together probably it's it's close to 20 years now correct yeah for sure and danny and i were both clients of of one of the biggest real estate coaching organizations in the in the in north america at the time danny has since spun off and evolved and started his own company the realty classroom uh seven eight years ago now just about right yeah eight and, years and one of the things that i loved about danny as a coach was that that you've always been a mindset person uh, as we re affectionately refer to in the coaching program as the guy who loves to handle the head stuff, right. which is typically what scares the shit out of most people. They want to just right. know the tactical, hey, give me that, that magic pill, silver bullet, and let's go make money, uh, and don't want to dive into themselves. So we've had dozens and dozens of conversations uh, about people, uh, you know, uh, uh, Maxwell Maltz and Dan Kennedy's edited version of, of his legendary book, uh, Psycho Cyber, not the, Psycho-Cybernetics. I got mixed up between his No BS series and Psycho-Cybernetics. Uh, but that was, that was the book that really made a huge difference for me. Uh, and you've kind of created a cottage industry around that for your clients. Um, sure. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the head stuff uh, as a coach. Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting as you were, were you going through that in the beginning, it, it makes me think about that frustration people have when they're trying to learn something. I, I think it's a bigger global learning issue. Um, people see something they want to do, for example, real estate or globally small business. Somebody decides I'm an entrepreneur and I know for sure that's part of a big part of your audience for Opportunity yep. Knocks is the entrepreneurial mindset. But one of the best books that awakens us when we're small business people, for example, is that we rush right to, well, well, I'm just going to do the technical work and I'm going to work my tail off and I'm not employable and all those things come out of us. So there's an excitement, but it's almost like there's a quick brick wall we run into. Even if we're top producers at whatever, we sell a lot of pies, we sell a lot of houses, it doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden there's this burnout or a sense of burnout or a sense of desperation. We, we, the harder we work, it seems like we're always sinking in the same quicksand. So that certainly becomes where well, becomes an opportunity. Talk about opportunity knocking. It becomes an opportunity to say, okay, have you had enough of that? Are you exhausted enough? Can we wash ashore now and talk about us? Because especially for small businesses, we are it. The way we think 
is the manifestation of what's in front of us. So in other words, if I think that my real estate business, for example, should be this way, my mortgage business, then it is. It's the way you think. Right. Technically, you can know how to write up a loan package. You can know how to list a property. You can know those technical things pretty easily. I mean, once there's a universal discovery on how things work, there's no rocket science to it beyond that point. So the question is, why don't we list more properties? Why don't we, we sell them faster? And a lot of that has to do with, well, we know we need price reductions. So why don't you get them? Well, I don't have the head stuff right to be able to talk intelligently to my clients about their head stuff. So you have this big Molotov cocktail of emotion that gets in the way, but primarily affected by our own. So, okay, good. So there it is. It's on the table. We know it's us. There's the guilty moment that we just say, okay, I get it. I'm the problem, whether I'm new, whether I'm a top producer, it doesn't matter. That's a hard moment for most people to acknowledge is that the problem is me. Oh, for sure. And that's what I want. I mean, that's why coaching is hard and guidance. You know, you're in this guidance business and you could, knowing what you know today, you could give very direct advice, but how would it be received? Most of the time, somebody will say, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm just going to go do it. And you're right. It's, it's the guilty moment. That's why I would say, if I want to do anything on this podcast in particular, I'm the problem. Yeah. I'll say that first, because that was the most liberating place to start to correct all the head stuff. But then you arrive at that moment and you bring up psycho-cybernetics. Great, I'm game. I've pled guilty. I've gotten to that point of humility. I've gotten over the sense of self. And now I'm really listening. Now, how do I do this? And I think that's what why we were both so affected by psycho-cybernetics because it, it, it starts to talk about mind, psycho. Mm-hmm. And cybernetics is derived from the Greek word that really means loosely translated steering system. So okay. in our mind, we have this steering system. Well, that really gets intriguing to me and you because it's how to. And we're, we're, you know, we're sort of these high D personalities that want to cut to the chase that once we've admitted and become humbled, now how to. And I think that's how you arrive at that yeah. moment. Yeah, I, I I love it, and it, and I, and it 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 really was the the power of visualization, and you know this this is very this this scares and turns a lot of people off, but the reality of it is one of the things I love because I've gone through that book so many times, and, and I'll emphasize it's the version of the book that's that's edited by Dan Kennedy because I've read mm-hmm. two other versions of it. All of them are a very challenging read. They're a difficult read until you open your mind to it and embrace it. It's the kind of thing where I've started it and I got through and then I, and then I stopped and then I started and I got a little further and a little further and a little further. What I loved about, about that whole power of visualization, and as you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Vince Lombardi and his Green Bay Packer days. Right. For sure. Uh, and Lombardi gave that book to everybody on his teams right. and says, you will master this. And it's why when you look at the power sweep that the Green Bay Packers ran, they ran mm-hmm. it over and over and over mm-hmm. and over. And then they finally got to the point where they visualized how the defense was going to move, how the offense was going to move, if anything changed. And they all knew every, they knew the worst case scenario right. and how to prepare for it. And, and like I said, it's, it's a very difficult, it's it's a very difficult read for personalities like ours. At least I know it was for me. I'm not going to speak for you. Sure. Uh, but once you got through it, it was it was that moment where you heard the angel singing and saying, holy cow, 
it's the most empowering book I think I've ever read. And I, and I recommend dozens and dozens of books to people on here all the time, but mm. by far this was, this was number one. And I appreciate you and, and, and that group for bringing it to my attention because mm-hmm. it, it has been life changing for me. Yeah. Let me, let me go back to the history. So everybody's clear on, on the book itself. First of all, Maxwell Maltz um, was uh, a, a, a doctor and he was a plastic surgeon, ironically, right down the street from you in New York City, yep. early in the beginning of the 1900s. I think he's a 1930s type of guy that really so. proliferates by the 1960s. And it's that plastic surgery work whereby he would fix somebody's face and some people would come out a completely different persona and thrilled. And almost a similar surgery, somebody else would come out as if nothing had happened. So or he worse. was moved by that. And he was also moved by the body of work that had really proliferated right before him, all that Napoleon Hill work, where Hill had discovered all of these traits of the most successful industrialists of the time. And so he's affected by this body of work, which is success training, head stuff training. Mm -hmm. He's affected by that. But what I love is that if you see that evolution, he then, because of his body of work, he takes that, what we knew about success and formulaic success, law of success. If you really look at Napoleon Hill's real book, it's biblically right, thick. It's enormous. And it's 20 years worth of work. Well, Maltz had access to that and was a student of that type of work. But he refines it into the, okay, those are all good traits of somebody who's a law. And Hill calls it a course. And for all practical purposes, it is. But you know what? Most people have the patience for something that yeah. thick. It's nil. Yeah. for most to start. So he condenses it, but it's still difficult. So what I would say to somebody that's first getting started with the head stuff, number one, get to that sense of humility that you have to be an open learner. You have to understand, it was Michael Gerber who taught me this personally, face-to-face when I met him at 80 years old, we don't know what we don't know. And that just you know really goes to where why you and I do these types of things. We're curious. And I think that's one of the greatest traits that somebody can practice is curiosity to learn. And so now you come to Maltz and boy, you start listening to it. And I've had all five of my kids turned on to it. A couple have really embraced it, especially my actress. And I'll get to the theater of the mind, which you referenced in a quick second here. But, but now Lombardi gets this and he understands that it's a steering system. And the hardest thing you, you have to deal with when you're a teacher is having your students condition their brains to, to repeat simple behaviors that lead to success. So for example, like you said, the sweep, the running of this play over and over, it's more so that you're programming the steering system in the mind to to repeat this thing because you know it's effective. And that's the point. Once you know something's effective, like the Green Bay sweep, and you just practice it over and over and over, the minute details become sharper. Mm -hmm. So regardless of the external circumstances that beat on the sweep, aka the defense that wants to take your head off, you're able to make small distinctions, whereas the, the opponent is not that organized and they begin to fall apart. Why? The human brain, Tony Robbins talks about this really well, talking about how the human brain has these, what we have as humans, needs. And the need for consistency, the sweep over Mm -hmm. and over and over, is in direct conflict with our need to be creative and have variety. So consistency versus variety. So if you have a bunch of individualistic players, why do you think in any sport, you and I love sports and we talk about it all the time, take it to hockey. Mm -hmm. You can have a couple of the greatest superstars on the ice 
and wonder why that team can't win because the need for variety for that individual superstar can often be just become overwhelmed by the cohesiveness of a systematic in sync approach. It's very consistent. And it's very hard to beat that because the other team becomes out of sync. Now, well, how do you do that if you can't always get to the field or, or you have a goal, for example, I'll go back to my daughter who's an actress. Well, you sit back and this was this relaxation and this meditation. You see it now proliferate in sports, but I would make an argument Lombardi was an early adopter of the meditative approach, meaning acting as if in your head this is already happening. You're on the field. You can see the stadium filled. You can hear the calls, you know, the plays being yelled out in your ears. And you're sitting in a relaxed state, typically at the end of the day, in a comfortable place, acting as if, because the steering system claims malts, doesn't know the difference. Right. That subconscious doesn't know the difference between the real stadium and the theater of the mind stadium. So that's how you arrive at that. Like there's the simple message. One last piece of advice. Don't try to read the book. If you're not a prolific reader to begin with, listen to the audio book. Exactly. Because now as you're driving in the car, you're beginning to allow little bits and pieces of this scenario to come to you. In fact, Dean, when, when we go do our retreat for the mastermind in the real estate business, I will always constantly go back to that book and listen to it so that I'm acting as if I can be prepared to deal with what I know will, will be in that room. And it's very helpful. So the audiobook is my best recommendation until you become, unless, of course, you're a real reader first. Okay. Some people just have to be kinesthetic and they're better readers. But if not, like you just said, I highly recommend starting with the audio. It was funny because what, what really triggered my ability to absorb it was I, I became obsessed with trying to get through it and I struggled with the reading and, and that's exactly what happened because I got the audio book, but what yeah. worked for me was I would put it on and I would put, as I would go to bed at night, I'd put the headphones in and I'd lay down and I'd keep the volume on low and I would just play it and fall asleep. For sure. And it was amazing well, to me how I would remember some of what I don't remember hearing and I'd go back sure. and pick it up. And that's how I got through it. So I'd take the two or three steps forward and then two or three steps back and some days take an extra step forward or backward. But moving through that process, it, it was very challenging for me. But I, I don't know why I was obsessed with it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it came off the back of, of you pushing it down my throat, which I greatly appreciate. But it really ha has such a massive impact that now I can sit down and actually read the book and absorb it at a much, you know, I, I always had right. running comprehension issues as a kid, but, yeah. but this system worked for me. But this is the learning dilemma that I'm talking about. And again, having been in this teacher role for so long, my sister's a teacher, you know, I'm a teacher in this context. I think what you recognize and begin to appreciate is the difficulty to learn something, especially in the information age. We are overwhelmed. I mean, everybody was, somebody said smartly to me early on in the digital age as things were changing in our business, well, anybody with a microphone and an opinion and a laptop can be a coach, can be a teacher. And so- we, Look at we, us right, right now. <laughs> right. So, right. So, so, uh, so we have this, all this noise. And so here we are, frustrated human beings, trying to learn how to better ourselves, make our businesses better. Where do we start? Well, here's what I've learned to do. The great editing that our brain is able to do starts with, are there fundamental bodies of work that have real time invested in them? So I reference Napoleon Hill, for example. Napoleon Hill literally spent 20 years yeah. studying 
some of the most successful people at the turn of the century in the United States. So he had this unique moment in time, but he is, there were a lot of people that had that opportunity to study them. There were reporters, there were writers. It's not like it was new. And back then writing for magazines and newspapers was, was hugely important because we didn't have these other forms of media. So if you consider he's there 20 years and then you consider Maltz is in this room, this surgical room doing this for multiple years, I don't know how long, but it's clearly more than 20. You think about these guys that had this ability to just make these distinctions over time and they become finite. Well, what births itself is actually a simple bone structure for success. If you think about Hill's work, I mean, the number of traits varies. I've seen, I think the original was something like 15 or 16, and then people added some, whatever. That's a small number. You're under 20. After 20 years, you're going to tell me that you've chunked it up, which is my favorite Mm -hmm. saying, right? He's chunked it up to that. And that the malts basically says, look, your mind is a steering system and you can program the subconscious, which is where that steering system lives. And you can do it by just falling asleep with this. See, that's where people totally underestimate what you just said and its power. Oh, yeah, that's hokey. No, it's not. Your subconscious brain, think about just driving down the street. How the heck did you get from A to B and you weren't totally consciously thinking about what you're doing? The subconscious is driving the car. Why? Because it's been so practiced over so many hours. Think about it. If you haven't driven a car in a long time, say you step out of your car for 30 days, go back and try to drive it. You're, you're in poor condition. You better be careful. I see that with some of my kids that live in the city. They come back and we're like, yikes. I'll give you, I'll give you another scenario. Yeah. Years ago, it's, it's well over 10 years ago. There was a, there was a video game called Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, and I there were tons, and I, I I plead guilty, played it a couple times myself, and with the kids, a couple vi- <laughs> violence at its finest. But it was funny. Yeah. You would watch, you were such an insanely aggressive, angry person when you were playing that video game, yeah. that I know people who have played who played it and literally pled guilty to. I got in my car and I almost killed somebody because yeah. I was still conditioned to drive like that wild man in a video game. <laughs> For sure. Well, well, look, there's the key point to the head stuff Mm -hmm. is that you can really program your brain to bring you in the direction of any goal. So why not control the goal? And so this this brings in the goal theory that we are these, and this is Aristotle, deep thinkers, that we are what's called teleological beings, that we are very goal-seeking. So it, it, even if you're, let's just say we have somebody who's lazy, they're, they're a couch surfer and they sit around just to get through the day. Let's say they play video games all day. And I, I mean, in a non, I know it's now become big business. Right. There are a lot of young people. No, we're just, I'm not talking about talking. them. I'm talking about the no brain, yep. watching TV, going, you know, rotely through these things. Well, you're actually achieving a goal that day. To, to win on a video game and the, the dopamine or the serotonin or whatever is positive at least is rolling. But that's all you're going to become because that was what you sort of unintentionally chose as the goal. So it just comes down to why not? And look, at here's a key point. Anybody young that catches a hold of this podcast, because I am deeply involved with my children who range now from twice at 16 to 24, I am deeply involved with them and have been since they were kids to say one thing. And this is goal setting 101 that you sneak up on people with, including yourself. 
if you could do one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? I have been asking that question. I think it was before they were even in the first grade and they would just dismiss me. But what I was doing was programming them to realize I was giving them permission to do what was purely them way back then. And that's why every one of them is very specifically doing what they really want to do and succeeding at it. And more importantly, happy. So that's how you sort of sneak up on this goal setting where where the goal that you're truly pursuing is the one you really want to. You really don't need anybody's permission but your own. Mm -hmm. And then once you start to go after that, I mean, now all that programming of the subconscious is becoming really exciting and you're accelerating in your brain all those positive chemicals. That's happiness, if you ask me. Yeah, I I agree with you. And, and, you know, I I see this and I I know enough of your your five maniacs as you refer to them but but the one that intrigued the ones that intrigued, i don't i'm not that nice to the boys by the way <laughs> I, I was, the girls the, not the, the boys the ones that intrigued me the most so you have you have twin boys i do three girls and then twin boys and so then, be but, careful what you wish for yep and but then at one at one point the boys who were kind of on a very similar path for a very long time and if i'm overstepping sure. my bounds we can edit oh this come out, on this me. is perfect i would love I, to share this i appreciate it but i was i was pleasantly surprised excited and a little mm-hmm. bit confused at that point in the boys lives where as twins you know they tend to have very common paths or complete opposites and right. your your boys were both on a very similar path for quite some time and then one day almost at least from my point of view and I'm you lived it so I'm sure it wasn't yeah. just overnight but one day yeah. the boys paths decided to go in separate direct directions Oh, I, I, first of all, twins are a fascinating experiment when you live with them. Number one, they're, they're not identical. Okay. So they're fraternal twins. So let's just state that case. But it's a fascinating experiment to be able to teach them and to really try to be authentic to that differentiation, which I am. I never saw them as guys that had to do exactly what each other does. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, twins have a very special relationship. I mean, these two clowns have their own language. Nobody knows what they're <laughs> saying to each other. We, we just call them the two weirdos in the corner sometimes, <laughs> the rest of us. Um, but it is fascinating in, an all, in all seriousness. Um, as time went on, physically, they're very different, which is fascinating yep. to me. Um, one guy is, you know, definitely bigger. And so that moment that you talk about, I, I can almost feel it and see it. So I had a passion for hockey and shared with you, we love the game. And so these guys have had the benefit of, you know, playing uh, organized sports, but especially hockey since they were young, right down the street from the house, there was a great outdoor sort of halfway outdoor barn shortly thereafter was torn down brand new twin rinks. So we've had nothing but this fabulous facility for them to enjoy the game. So they got up to about when they were, I would say about 12 years old and they were playing on the same time, but you could start to see that Marty was really beginning to take a passion for the game. I mean, he would come home and he would talk about it all the time. He would want to play street hockey. He would want to shoot pucks and Jack wouldn't. Yeah. And so then Marty went over and he said, look it, I don't want to any longer just be on this town team. I like this elite program over here. He took me on the journey. Now remember, This is a kid who's 12 years old, but given that permission, he begins to take me on his journey and I'm game. I'm a supporter. So I say, absolutely. One of the tryouts, let's go. Jack had zero interest. So the next year, Marty plays on one team, Jack plays in the other, and Jack just turns around one day and he says, I'm done. Now I said to him, wonderful, no problem, all in. I didn't push him to do what I wanted him to do just because I love that game. You didn't define what was best for him. Go, go ahead. You didn't define what was best for him. You let 100% him not. It. 
but I went I looking for it and I demanded it of him. I said, no problem, but you know where I stand. What is the one thing, Jack? Now, Jack's really an eclectic guy with a Renaissance-like brain, meaning there's all sorts of interests in Jack's head. But I could see that there was a certain level of real strength when it came to academic pursuit. I'm not going to name the lane because that's not clear yet. I think it's evolving, but I have tried to be there, I would say, on the outside of the guardrails. But I pushed him, and I whet his appetite about academics. And dude, this guy has exploded. We're talking about flash forward four years later, this guy with a weighted GPA, you know, based on high honors classes and what's going to happen next year with AP, he's a 4-1 and change. So, you know, and the other guy's not. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, but again, you know, like I joke with them, one guy's going through the front door, one guy's going through the rink door. So, you know, to college it's, and it's fine. It's all good. And and again, it's not about that. It's about who they're becoming as they pursue these things. Go ahead. Right. I say, as long as they're not breaking in through the windows, it's okay. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes that's the alternative as well. You know, it's not, it's not always how you get there. It's how you get out sometimes, you know, where you end up. Well, you know, you know, I think a lot about your friendship with Gary Vaynerchuk and I, I I think a lot about his message coming from the platform of who he is. And he inspires a lot of people to not feel the burden that there's only one lane. I like that. But having said that, I'm, I, I guess I disagree if he's railing against education, because here's what I would say. Education And when I say that, I don't mean the formal following of one school to next, but somewhere along the line, and I think Gary embodies this, you have to be, I said this before in the podcast, you have to be a a, a curious, excited learner. And that comes from doing the thing that you're interested in. So Marty, for example, has become an incredible student of not only the game of hockey and its subtleties, but the business of hockey. Nice. So who he's becoming and what's developing because he's in a lane that's interesting to him. He's a learner. He's a learner and he wants to keep learning this. And I just say, look, academically speaking, you need to be challenged because if you want to ascend in the business of hockey someday, post career, however long that goes, you need to become this critical thinker. And I think that's what formal education does. It forces us, Dean, to become that critical thinker or at least gives us that capacity. And then it continues post whatever level of school only. If you're pursuing something that you love, yep. otherwise, I think that's why we fall back and we, we, we just become a lot less than we could have become. It's, it's part of the reason why, and, and, and you hold, you hold my feet to the fire with this all too often. It's part of the reason why I get distracted because, um, you know, I was, and I, I don't say this to brag or because others have said it, it's my story. I was never a great classroom student. You know, I got, I got out of high school and I finished with an average below 80, um, but I wasn't, you know, the, there were two or three classes in my life that I failed. Ironically, algebra and religion while I was in my, my freshman year of high school where passing was 75 and I got a 74 in both. And still to this day, it pisses me off. Uh, but, but, that, but, I, but I digress. Um, but what I, what I learned about myself was when I got to get my, I, I was one of those learners who I needed to be in the dirt and in the mud and doing things. And yeah. <clears throat> years later, after I finished my career of dropping out of college because I wasn't a classroom guy, I hated the fact that creativity was stifled by the education system. 
because even back in my days in, in the, you know, the seventies and eighties going through high school and grade school, um, it was always some form of whether it's the same as standardized testing today or not, the schools were being graded and had a certain number that they had to maintain. So the education system forced you to become a memorizer. Um, and, you know, when I watch movies about history, I absorb. I don't necessarily remember the exact dates because they're not relevant to me. And right. because Siri and Google and Alexa all can answer those questions for me in, in a blink of an eye. Um, but every time I got my opportunity to put my hands on stuff, when I went to audio recording school, it was the greatest experience of my life from an education standpoint. And I'll never forget, we walked in, there were eight of us in the, in the, in the studio. The guy who ran the school came in and handed us these binders that, that were probably eight, 10 inches thick yeah. and they were wrapped in plastic and they looked like they had been old and through the ringer. And he handed us the books and he looked at it. And he says, don't unwrap it. He yeah. gave it to all of us. And he says, okay, now take the books and throw them in the corner. We're going to go break shit. Yeah. And awesome. I laughed. I, we walked out of the studio into, into the, into, we walked out of the, the band part of the studio into yeah. the actual recording booth. And he says, you can't break it unless you smash it with a hammer. Yeah. Go play around with it and do it. And it was amazing yeah. how I learned how to run that board in a matter of days and hours um, and to the point where he taught me how to splice reel-to-reel -reel tape together. And I could do this stuff like a mad scientist. Yeah. It was what I needed to learn. Um, yeah. But then we put the processes into it and said it's not just about turning dials and sliding things. You had to put the thought into it. We had to learn about sound waves and how things worked that was the education that I needed. That's why I love what I do now. I, you know, as much as I say, as, as an owner of a real estate agency, uh, being out in the field is, is powerful because I get to learn more and more every day of what's going right and what's going wrong. But at the same time, the creative part of me wants to be, do something bigger and better for other people. And I don't need to run the business. So I'm always balancing that. Yeah, we'll, we'll go back to that whole, whole thing with, that Tony talks about with this, you know, balance of the need for consistency and variety. I mean, there you go. Yeah. We, we still need that, that, that system, that formula. That's the discipline, right? That's the thing that puts organization to the creativity. I mean, I have both. I mean, if I go to my oldest, Stephanie, she's probably the best example. When, when she was young, she definitely had a flair. All my girls are very creative. Uh, all of them. They're very artistically oriented. And, and I'm not going to say that all five of them are not. And, and so you clearly see this in every, it's not like you're born an artist, right. you know, no, you're, you're born with creativity. Right. Children are very creative. They, they have wonderful minds and you're right to a large extent. We have to be very careful to not beat that out of them mm -hmm. in exchange for this discipline. We're always trying to discipline a child, probably a lot of the time for the right reason, because they're out of control. And if you just let that be the only rigmarole or lack thereof, no, right, no rigor. Mm -hmm. So now you're just creatively all over the place. Well, I think you, you end up being a very, for example, dissatisfied artist. Yeah. You, you, you do still, unless you're independently wealthy and you do it just purely for the enjoyment of painting or you know, photography, that's my third daughter yep. you're right the photographer yep. you have to remember that that wonderful creativity that takes you out into the wilderness you know it is dissipated and you can't make a living from it because you didn't learn the rigmarole of making it a business yep. so there you have that that juxtaposition of these needs we need to be, be formulaic or you're going to dissipate the variety and yeah. i think that's somewhere in all this i see this in, in his hockey too 
when he when they end the season, it's almost like they have these the whole month of March. There's open ice, except now as we're recording this, right. you know, we have this problem where these places are closed. But there's a whole month where they just get to have fun and be creative. And there's no coach yelling at them and the whistle blowing. They've had that all season. But now they go and do this. Well, when he went to a couple of you know tryouts, um, and hopefully the USHL combine is coming up for junior hockey, his creativity is very important in the showcase of the three-on-three skill set, the ability to to be creative, to see something and just react creatively versus no, I'm supposed to go down this lane. No, I'm supposed to go down that lane. So it's this real conflict that I think somehow you really need to foster both. Because as you and I both know, as entrepreneurs that are renaissance-like, meaning we want to rebirth a little bit of the mix of everything. We want to go to the art show and then go down and be disciplined, you know, with the telemarketing department, right? So that's a, that's a variety. And that variety can bring us to a point where nothing's getting done yeah. as far as the end result, aka business doesn't make enough money. Right. So you have this real juxtaposition of these two needs that manifest themselves in anything from business to life. And I don't think you can avoid either one of them in an educational setting. I think you need to make room for both. I I can't go ahead. It's kind of why I wanted to do this interview with you now at this point, because I I'd look at things and say, I've got to come back to center for myself. Right. And, and from a very selfish perspective, this one-on-one conversation is all about me. And you know what? I'm the host of the damn show. And if nobody ever wants to listen to it, that's okay. Cause yeah, I but, will. But, but let me call something but, out. That's fascinating yeah. right now. What you're doing with me is an exemplification of discipline that for years, you know, we, we, we know our good friend threatened to punch you in, in the face, right? <laughs> D-Rock, so, we're going to put a picture of him right in between the two yeah, of us. <laughs> yeah. You have to pop up a picture of him. So, so that everybody gets the full effect. But the idea was for a long time, you talked creatively about running a podcast and, and doing this sort of thing. And until you found the routine through the pushing of whatever, the conversations with those guys, Everybody. with me, yeah. with uh, you know, hiring, you took an action step to bring on Corey, which br- brought a, you know, a, a need to not waste your money right. on great talent like him. And now it became a discipline. So this creative got thrown into the need to create content consistently. And so as we sit here today, you are my example. I don't have to go outside of this. I can say, look, this guy talked about doing this for a long time and years and has, as have I, I talked about it too. Now I'm up to three podcasts that I'm doing. And it's almost like routine every week, but there were some basic silly things like setting up the studio that I'm sitting in today in the basement of a building, getting some basic equipment. I mean, some of those things can really be paralytic and you can't move forward. But you today, as we sit here, my friend, are the manifestation finally of the melding of the variety and the consistency. That's what it looks like. And it's, you know, like I said, with, with me, there were triggers. You know, I, and I, I look back on my life and, and the beauty of it is I, I, I work hard on becoming more and more self-aware, right. uh, my own limiting beliefs, my own opportunities, my own successes and failures, which is what really drove me to create the podcast as, as it is, is to talk about successes are great and, you know, success leaves clues, but failure is the greatest education in the world, in my opinion. 
So I want to learn about other people's struggles and failures, not to embarrass them, but to say, holy cow, look, they've, they've risen from the ashes of their own failures and come back. And failure is not, you know, the, the failure doesn't define the person, it defines the event. So, yeah. you know, I, the, the, so I have these triggers in me that say, okay, you know what, enough talking about it, go do it. And yeah. I'm noticing more and more as I get older, those triggers come a lot quicker. I don't procrastinate certain things like I did out of fear. And whether it be fear of success or fear of failure, either one, you know, that, that have helped me evolve. And I, I, I think, you know, having people like you around me reading that book and being obsessed about it, I've got both the cop, the, you know, the monster version of the law of success by Napoleon Hill and think and grow yeah. rich on top of each other. And Dan Kennedy's book and, you know, and Maxwell Maltz's book right next to it in my office um, because they are relevant and, and they're so important to come back to because I believe you learn more and more. The more. Every time I've read think and grow rich, it's had a totally yeah. different meaning to me. Yeah. Well, you know, let's also let's go back to this and, and be yeah. pragmatic. I want to unpack a couple of really important things I, I think you're touching on. One is this concept of inspirational dissatisfaction. Let me talk about that in terms of you and I leaving a legacy. OK, you and I are similar age bracket at this point, you know, uh, well, you got a couple of years, bracket, on but but more so looking back on our children and leaving a legacy or bringing a message to, to people that are younger than us right back to anybody, I don't care how young they are, as long as they could even understand this message, you don't have to make as many mistakes. It's not, it's not like you, you will make them, but they don't have to be so egregious depending on how young can you become. You all talk about it, it being woke, okay? You want to woke up? Yep. Let me woke you up right now. Become aware, fully self-aware that you make the mistakes and that the sooner that you can recognize it and not be so crestfallen every time you make one, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I actually think the fear of embarrassment for young people is one of the biggest fears that keeps you back from trying things. Yeah. You're so worried about what? Whose opinion? Probably your own. your own. Because really it's when you look in the mirror, you're embarrassed to yourself because most people don't even notice it. Everybody's so dang busy with their own stuff. You really think they're overindulging in what you didn't do? So if you can become woke young, and in, in that context, oh my gosh, what a gift. Yeah. If somebody could have given Dean and I smelling salts that young and said, look, try to find, try to find the humility in the fact that you are human and that humans set goals and on their path, here we go with Maxwell Maltz, on their path to that goal, it is not a straight line. Yeah. The sooner the goal is real for you, the one you want, the more clearly you see it each day. But you don't go on a straight line, even if, even if you're very clear. That's what Maltz and then Kennedy adjusted the, the book when he bought the rights to it and updated it. It's this guided missile theory that you're a guided missile. That's what you are. Your brain is saying, okay, we're going to use the subconscious to be resourceful. And we're going to move out towards that goal. But the wind blows. Things happen. Here we are on the recording of this, and we're in the middle of a, 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 an international pandemic. Yep. And so the whole world's getting blown off course from all the goals that they have. Now the question is, how will you adjust? Will you allow the wind to really blow you off course? Will you let it exacerbate your worry, your fear? And will you say, you know, sort of have this doomsday mentality? Or will you go into this theater of the mind, use that to calm yourself down and see us on the other side right. of this event and right back on course quicker? See, that all takes that humility to recognize that moment and course adjust 
faster than you might otherwise have. See, there's how to from malts. I, I just yeah. that's why I love it, Dean, because you can apply it right to what you were just saying. But why wait till you're older? Right. Or why wait till it's longer to become so inspirationally dissatisfied that you finally wake up? Yeah. Right. That's exactly the moment right. when you become truly woke. And it it doesn't have to be one moment. It can be a regular series a series of, of events. Yes. You can get pissed a self- off a lot yeah. about what's not going your way. That's called inspirational dissatisfaction. When it finally clicks to the positive, you're inspired to do something yeah. different because you're not getting the result you want. Yeah. So. Listen, we, we could probably talk about this for another four hours and keep going, but I, I for, the, for the sake of the listeners who do make it this far into the podcast, I know you're probably all mentally exhausted from listening to it. So yeah. what, I, what I would like to do is say that I would like to make this a somewhat regular conversation that we have, um, and we can put this together kind of as a mini-series within the series for either or both of us. Um, you know it would be fantastic? I, what's that? If your listeners gave us something to chew on and apply this right because then it's totally about them and i'd love to know how people struggle because i think you and i could prove to them that that what we just talked about is applicable that's the key and I, i i think that's a big part of why why this conversation triggered with me i mean listen you find a pod, try to find a positive in everything. I always said that. Okay, so here we are. We have this. We have this pandemic going on around the world. People can't come within six feet of each other. I can't. I had three podcast guests all cancel in twenty four hours or thirty six hours on me. So boom, technology's here. Zoom. Let's go. We figured it out. We spent fifteen minutes before the call going through each other's tech issues. We had Corey on here with us saying, "Hey, you two dummies, this is what you got to do." It worked out perfect. But but here we but here we are now leveraging an opportunity and. Because people, quote unquote, have may have a little bit more downtime, I'm hoping for exactly that. We're going to yeah. take this conversation and create a ton of micro content type pieces from our conversation to push out there and ask questions and hopefully steer people back to this to say, what can we do to bring value to the world today? And if yeah. you have downtime and you can listen to listen to our podcast to get a little bit of inspiration to go order the book or the books and spend some time learning it and let's build a kind of, I always talk about building community because to me it's, you know, there's always more strength in, in a group than there is in just one or two brilliant people. Um, but I would well, love. Again, again, I think the hero of the story is the person in the struggle, yeah. in the fight, yeah. right? I think that's it. I, you and I, I know you so deeply and so well that we are both trying to pursue this mission of being people for others yep. and, and to give back what we know to maybe save somebody a lot of painful steps. But you can't do that without, in the, in the power word of the digital age is engagement, yep. right? It's engagement. And you can't get up underneath people and help them, no. e- even if they lightly engage. If somebody just sends you an email question or gives you an email scenario or leaves you a voice message somewhere, then you and I have something to chew on. So I would encourage anybody who listens, yeah. by the way, to any of your episodes, and it that. stimulates that inspirational moment of dissatisfaction, yep. Engage the guy. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, again, we have to go on a blind journey in the beginning. So we give you the basics of something that we've learned. We chunk it up. But but I love to apply it so that it makes, you know, positive outcome in your yeah. life happen sooner yeah. than later. Listen, so you, you know, I, you're always giving me shit for saying what's the purpose of the content you're creating. And, and all too often, I, I look at it from my own fulfillment standpoint. And fulfillment doesn't necessarily put food <laughs> on the table. But... I, I'm I'm still a believer, and I've said it. I think in every episode, I don't get out of bed to make a dollar. I get out of bed to make a difference. The dollars yeah. find me when I when I do that. Um, 
but but that kind con- of you know, I I love doing this because I love the connection. I love to see people getting positive. I, and, and I don't mind the negative feedback when people look at me and say, you're full of shit. I don't mind it one day. Yeah, whatever. You know, That's I good. Use, That's fine. As, as a, as a hey, former Hey, wrestler, you know what, Dean? You know what I think that is sometimes? I think that somebody's call for help. Yeah. Right. I just do. I, I think when somebody comes at something like that and said, well, I don't agree with that. That's good. You're probably having a pretty good process like that. You're angry, you're upset. Hopefully it turns into inspirational dissatisfaction where you get that you just took it out on somebody, but something that Dean might say, I might say provokes you into a negative reaction. I'm cool like that. As long as you keep the engagement going. Yeah. If you come in and you bob and then you go back to your, you know, your cave and you're mad about it, don't do that. that have that, it out. Let's have it out. We're two city kids yeah. here, right? We'll have it out with you in a loving way, but we'll scrap you until we get something on yeah. the table and at least you have something to chew on and a direction to go in. It's have the, it out. That's that's the win. I believe that so much. It's why I used to love to reply to negative Yelp reviews when I had the restaurant. Yeah. Nothing that the staff would cry in their in their drinks. Oh my God, we got a bad review, and they would see me perk up and smile. And I was like, it's the greatest learning opportunity in the world. And you know what? How do you know this guy didn't walk in in a bad mood? How do you know we didn't make him walk out in a bad mood? How do you know he wasn't there mourning the loss of his family member or his cat or lost his job? Go down the list. Hey, let's let's play the game. And it was always, what can I do to help you leave here happy? Whether it was physically leave the place or leave reading my response in a happier mood. And that, that's yeah. kind of always what, what drives me is I, I like, I like making noise to see those things happen. And yes, yeah. we're, we're spending more and more time drilling it down and, and leveraging it for the benefit of the businesses. But at the end of the day, it, it's all about personal fulfillment for me. And that's, that's where, that's where the financial victories will eventually show up from. For sure. Dude, I always, as always, I appreciate you. I spend, I, I think there are weeks where I spend more time with you than I do with my own wife uh, from a distance. Between, <laughs> she, she appreciates that. She I, tells me. Yeah, she's, and she's grateful <laughs> for it. Between coaching calls and conversations and, and, right. and inspiration and anger and hostility uh, that all comes from a position of giving from you. And I think, you know, I, I think that's why we connected so many years ago and why we've stayed in touch all these years later. Um, I truly appreciate not only what you do for me personally, but for what you I appreciate you for what you do for our community and those who are willing to, to come into your world as well. So let's give you, let's give a little bit of plug to wrap up here. Danny is not only uh, a great podcast host and the host of three different podcasts. Uh, he's a real estate, he's a real estate coach and trainer who does paid, paid coaching, but also does a lot of free stuff, a lot of mindset things. Danny, give us a little bit of plug about the Danny Griffin, you know, Griffin Realty Group and the Realty yeah. Classroom. Well, yeah, well, I, lived, I, I really live in three worlds. Yep. And you can call me tripolar, right? Yep. So I, I think ultimately what, where all the work was birthed from is the Griffin Realty Group, um, which serves as a brokerage currently um, in Boston, downtown Boston, and all of Cape Cod. So as a brokerage, Griffin Realty Group is uh, where, where we do our thing at the grassroots level. That birthed my career in coaching, which is now the Realty Classroom. The Realty Classroom is the body of work within which you're part of the mastermind group there. And we love to coach those top producers who are trying to turn that business and that job really into a business. But that work is beginning to spread in the podcast. So the Realty Classroom podcast is really when we do our masterminding, Dean, with our group, I just skin out what I think could be chunked up and given to anybody out there. So that podcast is there. And then ultimately, this stuff is my passion. This is my life calling to be a person for others, to give away 
the head stuff. So coming really soon, seven episodes in the can as we're doing this, uh, the bonus section the bonus section uh, is going to be the the real passion work that I do. So those three were uh, worlds, and they all have podcasts: Griffin Realty Group, the Realty Classroom, and, and the bonus section. So if any of those lanes are interesting to people, yeah, I won't be hard to find. So as Danny learns from me on how to implement a few of these things, because I'm taking yeah. the damn credit for it, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna link it up. But if anybody's got any interest in learning more about Danny, what he does. Um, how he does it, my experiences with him. He's the epitome of a giver. Uh, he, he is one of the hardest working people I know in the industry and in the industries he now dabbles in because of his growth uh, from, from the real estate thing and the, the evolution of it. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more, please connect with me. I will be more than happy to give you my completely unpaid, uh, unendorsed, third-party, spectacular referral, uh, endorsement, whatever the hell the word is. I'm losing, I'm losing my like words here. I like it. Just um, stay there. I'm, I'm having an aw shucks moment. Yeah, Thank you. Enough. But, but Stop talking is, about this, me. It's this, making me uncomfortable. This is, I like making you uncomfortable. Listen, it works both ways. You son of a, <laughs> but dude, I thank you so much. This is a, you know, a, a great 45 minute interview. I hope people get to the end of this at some point, because I think the, the tone of the conversation and the power behind it. Uh, and if people want to learn more about it, they can reach out to you or I, and I don't need to give out phone numbers or websites. Yeah, cool. Hey, he's Danny Griffin from Cape Cod in Boston. I'm Dean Miller from Long Island. Easy enough to find us. Um, but dude, thank you so much as always. I look forward to watching you evolve with this being part of your evolution and you being part of our growth and evolution as well. Cause as I look at you with the green screen behind you, you were the guy who kicked me in the ass to actually go buy it, even though I had the guy who knew how to work it. So thank you so much for your time, Danny, as always, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen. We would love your reviews, your comments, your likes, uh, and, and most importantly, your, co your communication with us, your engagement to use the word that Danny brought up. Uh, what you tell us to do is the direction we're going to take this in, or we may fight with you over it. Uh, yeah. But that's what it's all about. We want to we want to leave the world in a better place than the one the one that we found when we got here, uh, and we hope to make a difference for you. So, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to the Opportunity Knox podcast, Danny. Again, thank you so much for your time. We look Thanks forward for to speaking me. to you all soon. Have a great day.